Chapter Nine of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Enlarged Photograph. I was dimly conscious, in a vague, uncertain fashion, that Mr. Cazalet was going to tell me secrets, that I was about to hear something which would explain his own somewhat mysterious doings on the morning of the murder. A half-excited, anticipating curiosity rose in me. I think he saw it, for he signed to me to sit down in an easy-chair close by his bed. He himself, a queer odd figure, in his quaint old-fashioned clothes, perched himself on the edge of the bed. "'Sit you down, Middlebrook,' he said. "'We've some time yet before dinner, and I'm wanting to talk to you, in private you'll bear in mind.' there's things i know that i'm not willing as yet to tell to everybody but i'll tell them to you middlebrook for you're a sensible young fellow and we'll take a bit of counsel together ay there was that in my pocket-book that might be i'll not say positively that it was but that it might be a clue to the identity of the man that murdered yon salter quick and i'm sorry now that i've lost it and didn't take more care of it but man who'd a thought that I'd have my pocket-book stolen from under my very nose. And that's a convincing proof that there's uncommonly sharp and clever criminals around us in these parts, Middlebrook. You lost your pocket-book while you were bathing, Mr. Cazalet? I asked, wishful to know all his details. He turned on his bed, pointing to a venerable Norfolk jacket which hung on a peg in a recess by the washstand. I knew it well enough i had often seen him in it first thing of a morning it's my custom said he to array myself in that old coatie when i go for my bit dip you see it's thick and it's warm and i've had it twenty years or more good tweed it is and homespun and whenever i've gone out of here of a morning i've put my pocket-book in the inside pocket and laid the coat itself and the rest of my scanty attire on the bank there down at kernwick cove while i went in the water and i did that very same thing this morning and when i came back to my clothes again the pocket-book was gone you saw nobody about i suggested nobody said he but lord man i know how easy it was to do the thing you'll bear in mind that on the right-hand side of that cove the plantation comes right down to the edge of the bit of cliff well, a man lurking amongst the shrubs and undergrowth would have nothing to do but reach his arm to the bank, draw my coatie to his nefarious self, and abstract my property. And by the time I was on dry land again, and watching my garments, he'd be a quarter of a mile away. And the clue? I asked. He edged a little nearer to me, and dropped his voice still lower i'm telling you he said now you'll let your mind go back to the morning whereon you found yon man quick lying dead and murdered on the sand and you'll remember that before ever you were down at the place i'd been there before you you'll wonder how it comes about that i didn't find what you found but then there's many big rocks and boulders standing well up on that beach and it's very evident that the corpse was obscured from my view by one or other and maybe more of them Anyway, I didn't find Salter quick, but I did find something that maybe, mind, I'm saying maybe, Middlebrook, had to do with his murder. 
"'What, Mr. Cazalette?' I asked, though I knew well enough what it was. I wanted him to say and have done with it. His circumlocution was getting wearisome. But he was one of those old men who won't allow their cattle to be hurried, and he went on in his long-winded way. "'You'll be aware,' he continued, "'that there's a deal of gorse and bramble growing right down to the very edge of the coast thereabouts, Middlebrook. Scrub, that sort of thing.' the stuff that if it catches anything loose, anything protruding from, say, the pocket of a garment, will lay hold and stick to it. I, well, on one of those bushes, gorse or bramble, I cannot rightly say which, just within the entrance to the plantation, I saw fluttering in the morning breeze that came sharp and refreshing off the face of the water, a handkerchief. And there was of two sorts of stains on it, caused in the one case by mud, the soft mud of the adjacent beach, and in the other by blood. A smear of blood, as if somebody had wiped blood off his fingers, you'll understand. But it was not that, not the blood, made me give my particular attention to the thing which I'd picked off with my thumb and finger. It was that I saw at once that this was no common man's property, for there was a crest woven into one corner, and a monogram of initials underneath it and the stuff itself was a sort that I'm unfamiliar with. It wasn't linen, though it looked like it, and it wasn't silk, for I'm well acquainted with that fabric. Maybe it was a mixture of the two, but it had not been woven or made in any British factory. The thing, Middlebrook, was of foreign origin. "'What were the markings you speak of?' I asked. "'Well, I tell you there was the crest.' "'Anyhow, it was a coronet, or that make of thing,' he answered. "'Woven in one corner, I mean, worked in by hand. "'And the letters beneath it were a V and a D-E, small at last, and a C. "'Man, that handkerchief was the property of some man of quality. "'And the stains being wet, the mud-stains at any rate, "'though the smear of blood was dry.' I gathered that it had been but recently deposited by accident where I found it. I reckoned it up this way, do you see, Middlebrook? The man who'd left it there had used it on the beach. Maybe he'd cut his toe bathing or something of that sort, or likely a cut finger gathering a shell or a fossil, and had thrust it carelessly into a side pocket for a thorn to catch hold of as he passed. But there it was, and there I found it. "'And what did you do with it, Mr. Cazalet?' I inquired, with seeming innocence. "'I'm telling you,' he replied. "'I had no knowledge, you are aware, of what lay behind me on the sands. I just thought it a queer thing that a man of quality's handkerchief should be there. And I slipped it in among my towels to bring it along with me to the house here. But I'm wiles given to absent-mindedness.' and not liking that I should put the blood-stained thing down on my dressing-table there, and causing the maids to wonder, I thrust it into a hedge as I was passing along, till I could go back and examine it at my leisure. And when I'd got myself dressed, I went back and took it, and put it in a stout envelope into my pocket, and then you came along, Middlebrook, with your story of the murder, and I saw then that before saying a word to anybody, I'd keep my own counsel and examine that thing more carefully. I gather from all you said that the handkerchief was in the pocket-book you had stolen this morning, I suggested. 
"'You're right in that,' said he. "'Oh, it was. "'Wrapped up in a bit of oiled paper, "'and in an envelope sealed down and attested "'in my handwriting, Middlebrook, "'date and particulars of my discovery of it all, "'all in order.' "'Aye, and there was more. "'Letters and papers of my own, to be sure, "'and a trifle money, banknotes. "'But there was yet another thing, that in view of all we know may be a serious thing to have fall into the hands of ill-doers. A print, Middlebrook, of the enlarged photograph I got of the inside of the lid of yon dead man's tobacco-box. He regarded me with intense seriousness as he made this announcement, and not knowing exactly what to say, I remained silent. Aye, he continued, and it's my distinct and solemn belief that it's that the thief was after. You see, Middlebrook, it's been spoken of, not widely noised about, as you might say, but still spoken of, and things spread that I was keenly interested in those marks, scratches, whatever they were, on the inside of that lid, and got the police to let me make a photograph. And it's my impression that there's somebody about who's been keenly anxious to know what results I obtained." "'You really think so?' said I. "'Why, who could there be?' "'Aye, man, and who could there be, with a crest and monogram on his kerchief, that had murder yon man the secret way he has?' he retorted, answering my incredulous look with one of triumph. "'Tell me that, my laddie. I'm telling you, Middlebrook, that this was no common murder, any more than the murder of the man's own brother down yonder at Saltash.' which is a Cornish riverside place, and a good four or five hundred miles away, was a common, ordinary crime? Man, we're living in the very midst of a mystery, and that there's bloody-minded eye and bloody-handed men may be within our gates, but surely close by us, is as certain to me as that I'm looking at you. I thought you believed that Salter Quick's murderer was miles away before ever Salter Quick was cold, I observed. I did, and I've changed my mind, he answered. I'm not thinking it any more, and all the less since I was robbed of my venerable pocket-book, with those two exhibits of the crime in its wame. The murder is about, and though he mayn't have thought to get his handkerchief, he may have hoped that he'd secure some result of my labours in the photographic line. Mr. Cazalet, said I, what were the results of your labours? I don't suppose that the print which was in your pocket-book was the only one you possess. You're right there, he replied. It wasn't. If the thief thought he was securing something unique, he was mistaken. But I didn't want him or anybody to get hold of even one print, for as sure as we're living men, Middlebrook, what was on the inside of that lid was a key to something." "'You forget that the tobacco-box itself has been stolen from the police's keeping,' I reminded him. "'And I don't forget anything of the sort,' he retorted. "'And the fact you've mentioned makes me all the more assured, my man, that what I say is correct. There's him, or there's them, in all likelihood it's the plural, that's uncommonly anxious, feverishly anxious, to get hold of that key that I suspicion.' What were Salter Quick's pockets turned out for? What were the man's clothes slashed and hacked for? Why did whoever slew Noah Quick at Saltash treat the man in similar fashion? 
it wasn't money the two men were murdered for no it was for information a secret or as i put it before the key to something and you believe really and truly that this key is in the marks or scratches or whatever they are on the lid of the tobacco-box ay i do he exclaimed and what's more middlebrook i believe i'm a doited old fool if i contrive to get a good careful penetrating look at that box without saying anything to the police i should have shown some common sense but like the blithering old idiot that i am i spoke my thoughts aloud before a company and i made a present of an idea to these miscreants until i said what i did the murderous gang that knifed yon two men hadn't a notion that salter quick carried a key in his tobacco-box now they know you don't mean to suggest that any of the murderers were present when you asked permission to photograph the box i exclaimed impossible there's very few impossibilities in this world middlebrook he answered i'm not saying that any of the gang were present in raven's outhouse yonder where they carried the poor fellow's body but there were a dozen or more men heard what i said to the police inspector like the old fool i was and saw me taking my photograph and men talk no matter of what degree they are mr cazalette said i i'd just like to see your results he got off his bed at that and going over to a chest of drawers unlocked one and took out a writing-case from which he presently extracted a sheet of cardboard whereon he had mounted a photograph beneath which on the cardboard were some lines of explanatory writing in its fine angular style of calligraphy this he placed in my hand without a word watching me silent as i looked at it i could make nothing of the thing it looked to me like a series a very small one of meaningless scratches evidently made with the point of a knife or even by a strong pin on the surface of the metal certainly the marks were there and equally certain they looked to have been made with some intent but what did they mean what do you make of it lad he inquired after a while anything nothing mr cazalette i replied nothing whatever ay well and to be candid neither do i he confessed and yet i'm certain there's something in it take another look and consider it carefully i looked again this is what there was to look at mere lines and at the foot of the photograph mr cazalette's explanatory notes and suggestions i sat studying this for a few moments i make nothing of it it seems to be a plan but of what it is a plan middlebrook he answered a plan of some place but there i'm done what place somebody that's in the secret to a certain point might know but who else could i've speculated a deal on the meaning and significance of those lines and marks but without success yet they're the key to something probably to some place that salter quick knew of i suggested ay and that somebody else wants to know of he exclaimed but what place and where he was asking after a churchyard said i suddenly remembering quick's questions to me and his evident eagerness to acquire knowledge this may be a rude drawing of a corner of it ay and he wanted the graves of the netherfields remarked mr cazalette dryly 
and I've made myself assured of the fact that there isn't a Netherfield buried anywhere about this region. No, it's my belief that this is a key to some spot in foreign parts, and that there's those who are anxious to get hold of it that they'll not stop, and haven't stopped at murder. And now they've got it. They've got, or somebody's got, your pocket-book, I answered. But really, you know, Mr. Cazalet, this, and the handkerchief, mayn't have been the thief's object. You see, it must be pretty well known that you go down there to bathe every morning, and are in the habit of leaving your clothes about. And, well, there may be those who are not particularly honest, even in these Arcadian solitudes. No, I'm not with you, Middlebrook, he said. Somewhere around us there's what I say, crafty and bloody murderers. But you'll keep all this to yourself for a while, and... Just then the dinner-bell rang, and he put the photographic print away, and we went downstairs together. That was the evening on which Dr. Lorimore was to dine with us. We found him in the hall talking to Mr. Raven and his niece. Joining them, we found that their subject of conversation was the same that had just engaged Mr. Cazalet and myself, the tobacco-box. It turned out that the police inspector had been round to Lorimore's house, inquiring if Lorimore, who, with the police surgeon, had occupied a seat at the table whereon the quick relics were laid out at the inquest, had noticed that now missing and consequently all-important object. "'Of course I saw it,' remarked Lorimore, narrating this. "'I told him I not only saw it, but handled it. So, too, did several other people. Mr. Cazalet there had drawn attention to the thing when we were examining the dead man.' and there was some curiosity about it. Here, Mr. Cazalet, standing close by me, nudged my elbow to remind me of what he had just said upstairs. And I told the inspector something else, or rather put him in mind of something he'd evidently forgotten, continued Lorimore. That inquest, or to be precise, the adjourned inquest, was attended by a good many strangers who had evidently been attracted by mere curiosity. There were a lot of people there who certainly did not belong to this neighbourhood. And when the proceedings were over, they came crowding round that table, morbidly inquisitive about the dead man's belongings. What easier, as I said to the inspector, than for some one of them, perhaps a curio-hunter, to quietly pick up that box and make off with it? There are people who'd give a good deal to lay hold of a souvenir of that sort. Mr. Raven muttered something about no accounting for tastes, and we went into dinner, and began to talk of less gruesome things. Lorimore was a brilliant and accomplished conversationalist, and the time passed pleasantly until, as we men were lingering a little over our wine, and Miss Raven was softly playing the piano in the adjoining drawing-room, the butler came in and whispered to his master, Raven turned an astonished face to the rest of us. "'There's the police inspector here now,' he said, "'and with him a detective from Devonport. "'They're anxious to see me, and you, Middlebrook. "'The detective has something to tell.'" End of chapter 9